Hello, story lovers. This is Laurel McCarg, and you're listening to Alligator Preserves. In this episode, I'm doing part three of a special series about the Leadville race series. So stay tuned to hear what Marvin and Lisa Sandoval have to say about their race experience. Welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic, because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. This is Laurel McCarg, and you're listening to Alligator Preserves. Today we have with us a couple who have participated in the Leadville Race Series for many years. And we have with us today Marvin and Lisa Sandoval. Welcome to Alligator Preserves. Thank you. Thank you. We're glad to be here. You're welcome. Now, I have to start off because I know that you, Marvin, have just... Did you just finish a race? Yes, the Turbos Lake 20K. A 20, you, just, you just ran a 20K? Yes. Did you come right from the race here to this interview? Yes. <laughs> So you're exhausted. How did you do? I beat my last year's time by about 30 seconds, so it's good enough. What was your time? One hour, 34 minutes, and some odd seconds. And that's 20 kilometers, which is half marathon distance? Very close to half marathon. Close to half marathon. I did that race, oh, many years ago. Gosh, I think right after we got here, and I remember it being brutal. How was it today? It was pretty warm and windy, but... I think it was actually uh, pretty good considering the heat. <laughs> yeah, I think that this is unusually warm for this year. And Lisa, you didn't do it. Have you done that race in the past? No. No? I usually run an aid station over at Bay Queen. Okay. Was there an aid station? Oh, okay. Did you do that today? I didn't because Jackson is in baseball, so it was opening day for Little League this morning. So oh, I awesome. Did that instead. And you two have four kids? Mm-hmm. And I think they race, too. I've seen them in the newspaper mm-hmm. before. I've yeah. seen them in the Herald Democrat. Mm-hmm. And what are the ages of your kids? The oldest is 15. Then we have two 11-year-olds and a 10-year-old. And do they all race? They uh, do the two 5K races that are here locally and a 10K race is what they normally do. The 15-year-old has done, he did the 20K last year, this this one. Oh, wow. And then he did the heavy half also. Oh, my gosh. I did the heavy half once as well. That was brutal. Mm -hmm. Uh, To go from town... All the way up to um, Mosquito Pass. Mosquito Pass. Mm-hmm. Ball Mountain. Was it, where, where's the turnaround? It's somewhere way up there. Maybe it's not. Top of Mosquito Pass is the turnaround. Yeah. And I remember it was freezing cold up at the top. Last year, the wind gusts up at the top were 40 miles an hour, 50. Like, yeah. Crazy. It's a crazy race. Uh, All these races are crazy races. I'm just going to say it right now. So let's get to the Leadville Race Series races. Marvin... How many have you done? When was the first time you raced in the Leadville Race Series? I've done or completed eight Leadville 100 bikes, and then uh, seven Leadman is what I've completed. You're a seven-time Leadman? Yes. Are you the only one? Do you know? Has anyone Uh, else done seven? um, There was one guy the last year that did nine, so I don't know if he's going to do it again, but I think I'm probably up in the runnings for doing the most. Oh, my gosh. Mike is a 
He's just a four-time lead man. Would you explain to our listeners what a lead man is, what you have to do in order to get that huge buckle (laughs) and the trophy? So in June, in June you do the Leadville Marathon, which is a 26-mile marathon race up to the top of Mosquito Pass and then back down. And then come July, you usually have the choice of either doing the 50 bike or the 50 run. But I believe a true lead man does both. So it's called the Silver King. So on Saturday, you do the 50 bike and then um, wake up early on Sunday and do the 50 run. And then about three weeks later, you compete in the Leadville Trail 100 mountain bike race. And then without any... 100 miles. 100 miles. Yes. And then wake up the next morning, do a 10K. And then within a week, you compete in the Leadville Trail 100 run. And if you do all that, then you become a lead man. Within a certain period of time, too. They're yeah. timed. The... They're all, they all have cutoffs. Mm-hmm. So. It, tell me why you have to run a 10K the day after doing 100 miles of mountain biking through these hills, through these mountains. I think it's just to punish you. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe it might have had something to do with to make sure that you were still functional the day after. That's probably part of it, too. Yeah. Wow, okay. So, you like to suffer. Yeah, I like to be able to choose what I suffer with. Okay. And, Lisa, you have done the mountain bike. I've done the mountain bike races. So, um, this will be my third year doing the 50, the um, Silver Rush 50 mountain bike race. And it'll be my fourth year doing the 100 bike race. And have you completed every year? Mm-hmm. I have. Marvin, has there ever been a race you haven't finished? There was one race I didn't finish. It was uh, in Austin. The Austin Rattler, it was a 100K run. And I got a new pair of shoes, and anyways, I didn't really test them out very well. And the zero drop is what got me. And it was the only time that I ever did not finish a race. Oh, boy. A zero drop is what... That's the name of the shoe? No, it was an ultra shoe is the name of it. But they were given to me, and I they seemed real comfortable, and I thought I'd just go ahead and give it a whirl, but it was a bad choice on my how, part. How many miles in before you realized it? I was about halfway through with the race, so I guess about 50K in, and just my Achilles tendon just started really tightening up, and I thought it was going to snap, so Ooh. I decided to stop. Good decision. <laughs> Good decision. Uh, do you have any new joints since you've been racing yes i've had uh i've had a recent last year i had a knee surgery and it was like an alternative to a knee replacement they ended up doing uh they took out the rest of my meniscus and they ended up breaking my femur and realigning it so i'm kind of bow-legged in a way um on my right leg but it hasn't really slowed me down in fact it, if anything it may make me a little bit faster just because i don't have to run through the pain anymore Okay, wow. So no replacement? No replacement. It was like an alternative to knee replacement. I've never heard a, of that. A femoral osteotomy. So they literally broke the my femur um, and just kind of realigned it so the pressure going down my leg would be on the good side of my knee. And do you think that occurred because of all your ultra racing? I don't think my ultra racing helped, but it was... Uh, <laughs> An old high school wrestling injury. Ah. I had surgery on it back then, and then uh, it just finally caught up to me again. Okay, all right. 
This is a question I am always fascinated to hear the answers of. Okay, ultra racing. We're talking huge distances over technical, crazy terrain at high altitudes. Why? Um, some people go to therapy to work things out. I <laughs> ride my bike. <laughs> um, so for me personally, it's helped um, me gain confidence in my abilities. I had a mindset of I'm not an athlete. I never played sports and I'm not coordinated and I'm not strong. And um, something made me try it, want to try it. And then the fact that I finished, it was then what else can I do? If I can do that, what else can I do? So it's that mindset of you definitely want to get yourself out of that box that you tend to put yourself in of your belief systems of what you can and cannot do. And then it's a, a chance to personally grow and become better and better and better. Um, it's interesting when you're out there on the course, how many different ranges of emotions that you go through during a race. And it's every race. Talk about that. can be super stressful at the beginning, at the beginning of the start, like anxiety of why am I doing this? Um, all these people. This and is what I want to know. Why are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> Heart rate is, you know, skyrocketing through the roof. And then it becomes fun. And you're like, yes, this is a beautiful day, beautiful views. This is amazing. And then you get to a point of, I'm starting to hurt and I'm really tired and I don't know if there's ever been a race that I didn't cry in. There's always a point where I want to cry and then I overcome that and feel better again and then it's just an amazing feeling to, to finish and overcome all those, you know, the, the ups and the downs throughout the race to actually pull it through and finish. Literal and figurative ups and downs mm -hmm. during the race. Yeah. Marvin, have you ever wanted to cry during a race? I probably cry in every race as well. Yeah. There's some point where there's emotions and, and whether it's the adrenaline that's going through your blood or whether it's a memory that you have of some past part in your life, just because you're out there and you're usually all alone and you're thinking and, but there's always some moment when tears develop in my eyes. Now you're talking about usually all alone. Is that specifically when you're doing the hundred mile run? I would say almost both. For a lot of my ultras, or whether it's biking or running, I usually find myself alone at the start with hundreds or even thousands of people, and then you're by yourself out there, and sometimes you don't see anybody for a long time. You look way ahead, you don't see anybody, and then you look behind you, you don't see anybody, and then sometimes you, you, know, you come upon people or they pass you, but there's a lot of time when you're just all by yourself out there. Oh, I wouldn't have expected that, especially with how big these races have grown to be. Mm -hmm. Do we know how many people are going to be in the bike race this year? I'm not sure. My guess is probably 1,600 Okay. at the start line. In the run, not as many? About 600. Okay. All right. Do we know how many people are going for the lead man, lead woman this year? Uh, they usually cap it at 100. Uh, my best guess is they'll probably be 110. Really? <laughs> okay. All right. So, uh, Lisa, out of your four bikes, what was the hardest one? The hardest one was the second year. I think that was in 2015. And it was hard because of how hot it was. And so earlier in the year, I had done a race in Eagle County, and it was also really hot, 80 degrees, 85. And I think I got dehydrated. I think there was some sort of heat exhaustion going on. I was a little delirious out there on the course, thinking I might actually die underneath the tree and no one would find me. Ooh. Some crazy thinking. 
And so I just never really recovered from that. And then the, during the hundred, um, it was also really hot. And so, um, I mean, everyone was really suffering. There was vomit all over the course. There were people lying on the side of the, of going up, climbing a power line. Then there was another unfortunate event where, um, a gentleman who had done the race, I think 18 years suffered a heart attack Mm. and I had passed him very shortly after he had gone down. So that was just emotionally very heavy after a tough day as well. So that was my second. Um, and I was slower that year than my first even. And I even after that year took a year off from, from biking as well, just to kind of recuperate and start getting back into the joy of writing. Mm -hmm. I kind of lost it that year because it was just so brutal and Mm -hmm. hard. Mm -hmm. Um, at the aid stations, are you ever in danger of being pulled from the race? I have never been. Okay. Mm-mm. But if someone doing this, if they don't meet a other time hacks mm-hmm. at each of the aid mm-hmm. stations? There are cutoff times, yeah. Okay. So potentially you could be well into the race and not finish it if you don't make a cutoff time. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Easiest race or most fun race? Hmm. I'm not sure. I think of all the races. Mesa Verde is a fun one. It's a challenging one, and that's we do it on a team. This year, I did it with with two other women, and so we took turns doing laps. And I genuinely had a lot of fun on that race. Okay, Marvin, most difficult race. Most difficult race I've done was my very first one hundred. Bike or run? Run. Run. And I kind of got into it off of a, a bet. It was part of. How I started the whole lead man. A friend of mine, I was asking him if he wanted to sign up for the Leadville Trail 100 mountain bike again so we could train together. And he said if he was going to do it, he would do all of them. And I thought he was really crazy because the idea of doing a 100-mile run just doesn't seem very fun. Sane. Sane. <laughs> doesn't even really seem possible. But he said a few choice words to me, so I went ahead and signed up for the lead man series and that summer, I was working for the Leadville Trail 100 as well. And so I didn't have a lot of time to train. And I figured I've been walking all my life and people could walk and finish that race. So I figured I'd just go ahead and give it a try. And with my best effort, I ended up finishing that year. But it was definitely, definitely the worst, most painful, yet the fire that started it all for me. What, what year was that? Uh, 2011, I believe, was the year. And I finished that race in 29 hours and 41 minutes. And I truly, truly thought that I might die. And it was just, and it wasn't during the race itself, but it was after. I mean, talk about some sweaty moments and just heat flashes. And I thought my kidneys were going to give out. I was using a skateboard to use the restroom just to get from the couch to the restroom for about two weeks afterwards. Ooh. I was truly broken. Oh, my gosh. Um, but yet, after those two weeks were up, I decided that from here on out, I could definitely do better if I train and if I kind of change the mindset of not just trying to finish, but trying to do well in it. And ever since then, I've become one of the top contenders in the race itself. So 29 hours and 41 minutes, minutes did you yeah. say? And the cutoff for the run? 30 hours. It's 30 hours. <laughs> so it was close. It was very close. I remember... It was mile 20 when, I don't know, the tendon on the front of my foot, but it just started hurting really bad. And then I asked for some pulls. So I started using some pulls and I could move uphill really well, but the downhill wasn't very good. And then uh, I remember hearing a guy telling me if I could get to 
Twin Lakes Aid Station inbound, when it's still daylight, you could hike it in. And I remember coming in and the it was kind of daylight. If I had a flashlight, I'd probably turned it on, but I didn't have one. So I was like, it's daylight enough. So from then on, I just knew that I could probably hike it in. Wow. And this is a nonstop run. You run through the night. Yes. Un- unless you're... Has anyone done it? No. Has There's, anyone finished it before? They're the very like, top, top contenders. Sometimes they finish it and they don't need to use a headlamp. They finish it in daylight, but barely. Do you hate them? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Easiest or more, most fun race? Every race after that one. <laughs> it's my most fun and I... Out of all the races that I do, I do look forward to the to the Trail 100 run, the 100-miler one, even though it's usually the hardest. But for some reason, just being out there and doing that specific race um, over that distance, I don't know. It's just the one I look forward to. It's kind of a celebration of all the effort and training and everything you've done all summer long. It's It's your celebration. So... It's the granddaddy of them all for me, and it's my favorite. That's, it's, it's an amazing accomplishment. Uh, so, Lisa, four, four under your belt? Three under my Three belt. Three under your belt. Four will be fourth this year. Mm-hmm. And how many more will you do? Um, I don't know. Do you think you'll ever get tired of this particular race? I, I don't think I'll get tired of the race. I really do enjoy it. And going back to your earlier question, when you asked me my favorite, were yeah, you referring yeah. to the, the 100? Yeah. So my favorite was last year, and I really, truly enjoyed myself. And I, and I had gotten to a different mindset last year when I, was, when I was training, and I was really enjoying the journey and all of the, the, all of the rides, all of the training rides, and just enjoying mountain biking. So I went into it instead of feeling like I had to do it for some reason, that I wanted to and that I get to do it. And um, I was faster, I felt better, and it was a really, really beautiful year. So as long as I can keep feeling great and I can keep doing it, I really think I will. Gets me on my bike. It's a great inspiration for our kids. All of our kids really actually really love us doing it. So as long as I can, I I want to keep doing it. You're a science person. Mm -hmm. What's the ratio of attitude to physical training when it comes to success? <laughs> I mean, attitude definitely tops it all. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Grit's got it, determination. It is it's like that. You've got to dig deep, and um, I think it's definitely mind over matter. And I was thinking that earlier when Marvin was talking of seeing how well he handles when he is really in a bad place, and when he's in bad shape, he still handles himself so positively. And it never gets ugly, never gets nasty, never gets grumpy. And I'm notorious for getting grumpy. So that's a, a point in my life that I know that I need to work on more. What makes you grumpy? Physical stress or? All of it. Physical, mm-hmm. mental, emotional. Food. Yeah. Do you get, you get, you get angry? <laughs> I get angry. I don't know, <laughs> you name it. And I, I, I see them as mountains that I climb. And I sometimes handle myself really well and I'm proud of it and other times I just need more practice and so I have plenty of opportunity for practice throughout these races of of handling myself and handling it gracefully nice as my goal is to continue on that practice and I know I've got grown as a person so much in that area I think it's Ken Clover's belief that anyone can do Mm -hmm. these races Mm -hmm. and finish them with the right 
commitment, the right mm-hmm. personal commitment. I absolutely believe that. And I would not have said that if I hadn't done it myself. I'm like, you know, you have to be an athlete. You have to be a mountain biker. But I signed up that first year because of an April Fool's post. What? Someone said that they had signed up for the Trail 100. And I was a kind of thinking, really, did they? And then Someone? Later on are you looking day, at Marvin? No, it was, a, it was a, one of our Herbalife friends. It was our sponsor's wife, actually. Yeah. And so later on the day, she's like, oh, I'm just joking. And in my head, I'm like, why? Why, why would you, why not just do it? And so I talked to the race director and I had volunteered quite a bit. So he was able to get me in and just making myself do it. And it was, it was, you truly have to believe that you can do more than you think you can. And it's going to be really tough at times, but then there's that opportunity to recover. And it's amazing that you can push through it and then feel better but a lot of people, I think, feel terrible and they think that they need to quit because... Because it hurts. Because it hurts. And then if you just <laughs> wait it out, it's weird how your body can recover and it starts to feel better again. And if you have in that mindset of when you're training, of I'm going to finish, I'm going to finish no matter what, it's amazing what you do and you finish. Marvin, more attitude than training or more training than attitude? Or what's, what's your take on this? If you don't go into it with the right attitude, it doesn't matter how much training you have, it'll be easy to quit. There's every step out there, it's easy to just to stop. But uh, I think the difference is, is if you have the right attitude, you're going to finish. I think with the right training, you'll just finish a little bit faster. But I do believe that anybody can do any of these races with the right mindset. And it's not just necessarily on race day, but it's from the day they sign up. And I think if you sign up, you can, it's very possible. To my listeners out there today, I hope you're enjoying this episode with Marvin and Lisa Sandoval and their experiences with the Leadville Race Series. They have a lot more to tell you, so do stay tuned. Until then, please consider becoming a patron of the Alligator Preserves podcast. I am a one-person operation, in case you didn't know. Go to patreon.com slash alligator preserves to see how you can support my work. And now stay tuned for more great advice and stories about the Leadville race series. So take someone who's never done a hundred before and let's talk about the bike first. Someone like me, right? I've ridden a bike. I've done some little races and triathlons and things. What would you tell me to do? Well, I think it would be too late to start right now, but if I were to do this next year, <laughs> what what advice would you give me? I don't think it's ever too late. Um, <laughs> I think they're just truly something. Yes, it is. I'm quite sure yeah. it is. <laughs> I think the best advice is just to get on your bike and just ride it. How much? A I mean, lot. Do, do I have to do? Do I have to do hundred miles? No. Before doing the race? You don't no. have to ride 100 miles to, to do 100, 100 miles. Race. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, in, I mean, there's a lot of different philosophies behind it, truly, when it comes to that kind of stuff. And, I mean, train smarter, not harder, but yet it, you still are going to have to just truly put in the time on the bike. If you're just out there just to finish, then it's just literally riding your bike. And as far as you look at what the course is like, and there's a lot of climbing, so you ride your bike climbing some hills. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to be more specific and increase your time, then that's when you can really crunch down and look at different stress scores that you may be putting out according to your heart rate, and then just get real nitty-gritty to uh, train more specific just so you get bigger gains by not necessarily training harder but smarter. So, I mean, all in all, I think the short answer of it is just ride your bike a lot. 
What, what was the longest ride that you did, Lisa, before doing the 100? The 50-mile bike ride. Okay. And so I started off, my very first race that season was in... Battle of the Bear. Battle, Battle of the Bear in Golden. And so that was 20 miles. And when I did that race, that was the farthest I'd gone. And then I did some other like 20, 30-mile rides. But when I did the 50-mountain bike, that was the farthest I'd gone was 50 miles. And so then before the 100, I was super excited at the 50-mile mark because every mile after that was the farthest I had gone. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And as for running, Marvin, when did you start to run? 2011. The first year you did? The first year I did the 100, yes. And that's the first year, that's when you started running? Yeah, that year I did the Fish Hatchery 5K, and then I did the marathon because you had to because it was part of the Leadman series. Right. So that was the furthest I ran, was the 26 miles. Seriously, that first year that you did the lead man was the first year you started actually running. Yes. Wow. I think a lot of people, they wait to do things because, until they feel like they're ready. Okay. And I think with that mindset, you're never going to be ready. Like, who's truly ready to, to ride 100 miles? Yeah. yeah. But a lot of times, you just have to, like, take that plunge and sign up and... And do it. And just do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that year, I know that after doing the 26 miles, the marathon... When looking at the 100-mile course, although 100 miles is very, very, very daunting, it's just you're tying a bunch of marathons in together, so you run aid station to aid station. So I was like, okay, I could run to that first aid station. Got there. I was a little tired, definitely, but I knew the next aid station was just another marathon away. So if you look at it that way, you break <laughs> just it down. another marathon away. <laughs> you break it down. It's Four very, times. very doable. If you look at it as 100 miles... It is not possible, but you break it down, eight station to eight station, it's doable. And a lot of these ultra races, they're done in mountainous terrain, so there's opportunities to hike when you come to hiking up and over a pass. You're like, oh, I could hike. Maybe I can't run, but I could hike up. Maybe I can't run down, but I could hike down. So if you just kind of break it down into what you can do, a marathon, it's doable. I do the same thing for the bike. Every aid station is about 10, 12 miles apart. So I'm just riding 10 or 12 miles at a time. Back to it being your mindset. Yep. And how you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. Do you get any crazy hallucinations at night, running through the night? Have you seen things? I've heard well, people seeing like stacks of pancakes. and. No, I haven't gone that far. <laughs> But I will say that there's been times that uh, my eyes get blurry. And so that's kind of a little strange and weird. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it's really hard to run, especially at night, because you can't see very well because it's dark. And then you're a little blurry. I end up tripping a lot at night. I tend to fall a lot when I'm running at night towards the end of the run because I can't pick up my legs high enough to get over the rocks. Um, But as far as seeing things... No. Not yet? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Have there, you, have, there, I was going to say, there's been times when I've done some uh, 24-hour mountain bike races, and I've seen things. But I really think that, I really think that there's people out there dressed up. <laughs> I could be wrong, but I'm like, that definitely was not like a big bear right there, was it? That was a gorilla. <laughs> I've seen gorilla, yeah, gorillas. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what was that? But so I don't really know if it was true or not, if I did see it or not. Okay. 
Do you do you use a pacer coming back on the, uh, from the fifty, the last fifty miles? Yeah, I've always used a pacer, and um, when I first started, my pacer was kind of easy to pick and choose because I didn't need to have anybody that was running, you know, a true runner, just somebody that could kind of shuffle with me. And then every year after that first year, you have to be pretty picky in who you choose for a pacer. Because my first two years after that, I was out running my pacers. Oh, boy. And so I kind of use them as a mule, and they're carrying my fuel and my water. Mm-hmm. And usually they're the ones that are trying to keep you going, mm-hmm. but it's kind of hard when you're trying to keep them going. Right, okay. Well, so that made my job as a crew a little bit more <laughs> yeah. difficult because I would have to speed up to the next um, aid station to try to find a pacer for him because he had just lost his other his pacer. Okay. Uh, yeah. How many more of these races are you going to do, Marvin? Uh, I plan on doing at least ten lead man, so I could get like the really big buckle. How big is that? Because it's like plate size. It's plate size. <laughs> We're talking turkey plate yeah. size. And then yeah, after I get to the ten there, then I'll decide. And I'm going to say that I will still continue to do it. I'll just continue to do it till I can't, I guess. Between the hundred bike and the hundred run. If you had to drop one, what would it be? Oh, that's if a really good question. One. I that's know. What... He's probably going to um, buy a tandem bike, and then <laughs> well, when he can't run gonna, anymore, I'm pretty sure all yeah. he's doing. Well, I was going to get to that, but between those two races. I would probably not do the bike. Really? Yeah, even though I have more fun on a bike, and I think biking's way more fun than running, there's just something about that run, I don't know. It's the motions you get from being out there. And there's always those points when you are so low and in so much pain and suffering out there. And it's awful. But yet, the reward of crossing that finish line is so great. Does it make everything else in your life easier? Does it make other things easier? Have, having finished a 100-mile run? It's all put in perspective, I guess. Because mm-hmm. I think, in a way... Running 100 miles isn't that difficult anymore. Wow, okay. But I'm not saying it's easy. Right. But it's all perspective. Lisa, you mentioned a tandem. Mm-hmm. Have you ridden tandem yet, the nope. two of you? No. Would you ever? If I put a power meter on her, on her <laughs> crank. A power meter? What would that be? Just to, so he can know how hard I'm working and oh. not just along for the ride. <laughs> you'd, you'd be, would you be in the front, Marvin? Yes. I, I'm not saying I don't trust Lisa. <laughs> but she'd be in the back with her legs out going, wee! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I've seen her take some epic crashes, and I get blamed for them. Oh, so, <laughs> so I, I, I wouldn't know would. what would happen if she was driving and we crashed. I would so, get blamed for it. So doing this race, both of you doing the 100 together, who crews you? Well, I have a cooler, so I kind of crew, crew for myself. So I'll just get my water bottles and put them in the coolers and then... Marvin's parents go place him out on the you know yeah. aid stations for me, so I just crew for myself. Although this year I do have a friend crewing for me. Okay, so it'll be a little bit different to have someone. <laughs> They're actually handing me water bottles, but any tips for crewers? Just have the stuff ready and make it as quick as possible. Know what your runner or biker wants. Yeah. And have it ready. Yeah. Anticipate I, what they want. I would, I would say be ready to clean sunglasses. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's a good one. That's that something a good one. that I know Mike is always coming in. I don't even know how he sees out of them until mm-hmm. he gets to the aid station. Yeah, that's a good one. Sunscreen. 
Sunscreen. Oh, sunscreen's a good one. Yeah. Uh-huh. I think for a crew, not that I have a really crew, but... <laughs> but, but you've had crews. <laughs> but I've had crews. And what and makes a good crew? Well, I think I like to be prepared, and so I kind of organize everything and just having everything ready when you get there. And I think it's all about communication. For myself with the uh, run, I have my plan, and so my plan's in one pocket, or the bag, but then there's the oh shit pocket, and that's literally when things start going wrong. There's, well, Imodium AD for one. Okay. And, <laughs> and any and everything else that you could think of in that other pocket. And so I think it's just being prepared and communicating with your crew of what you might need and what you might want. And, and for the bike, have you ever had any malfunctions that you were not prepared to oh. repair? Oh, yeah. yeah. My very first year on the bike, I was going up Columbine, so that's the major climb to the 50-mile mark, the turnaround. And on my way up, I'm pedaling, 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 and then my, I think it was maybe my right foot, my right shoe, just popped out of the pedal. And I was like, what the heck? So I stop, and I notice that my cleat was off of my shoe um, that attaches to the pedal. And so I'm looking on the ground, I found a cleat, and I found one screw, and... So here I am, you know, it's my first race ever, literally, it was my first mountain bike race ever, and I had my phone on me, so I called my parents, and I said, hey, I, you know, I need a, I need a cleat screw, I need a cleat, because my, my thing came off, and so when I come down, please have something ready, and I was there along the trail asking people, anybody have a cleat screw, anybody have a cleat screw, and oh my nobody's going to have an extra no one No one's going to have a cleat screw, and your parents yeah. probably didn't know how yeah. to get one. And so, anyway, some guy goes, just tighten the one you have as tight as you can. And I was like, after five minutes, they're trying to look for this screw on the ground that was probably at 20 miles away. Um, I just tightened that one as tight as I could and got back on the bike and rode up to the top and then came back down. And then I get to the aid station and my parents had bungee cords. Oh, and duct, duct tape. tape. We had duct tape. We were going to duct tape his shoe <laughs> to his. We actually had another bike, too. Yeah. Not that and that I, would have been following the rules, but we had another bike. Everything but the little <laughs> tiny screw I needed. And I saw the duct tape, and they were like, what? And I was like, no, or bungee cord. And I was like, I'm just going to try this. Like you don't know is. what a cleat yeah. is, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, it held, and it ended up working just fine. Whoa. But yeah, they were going to duct tape my foot to the pedal. <laughs> So Whoa. <laughs> uh, yeah. that that's a, who would who would have thought of that? Yeah. So every now every year, I make sure my little screws on the bottom of my shoes are tight. Yeah, yeah. And I haven't had that happen again. But yeah, I would have never have guessed. Mike came down Columbine one year without a seat. <laughs> it, oh it, it crashed and the seat broke off of the tube. So he came in with just the tube sticking up, and he was ready to just use I don't know tires. And duct tape or something. I don't know. Someone had a, an extra seat, though. Wow. So, yeah. But yeah, chains, I'm sure, probably break. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I've had a flat once on that race, but it was an easy change, and and I knew what to do there, so that wasn't too so bad. So it's kind of like expect the unexpected. I mean, yeah. Was, yeah. Huh. Food. What do you both do for food? What do you do for food, Lisa, for the underbike? Um, I've been struggling with food for for most of my races until last year. So I was trying to drink some electrolytes and eat goos and my stomach just always went sour. So this last year with Marvin's help, I did completely liquid nutrition. 
So we usually use Herbalife CR7 and we get, my water bottles have about 200 calories in them and I just drink one water bottle an hour and that's it. I have energy and my stomach is fine and I stay hydrated and so that is it. It's very, very simple, very easy and it works. Okay, Marvin? I do the same thing, but I go for 250 calories an hour for the bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I'm running, I try to do like around 200 calories uh, just because I can't digest as much when I'm running. Okay. But it's all liquid nutrition, CR7, Herbalife. Okay, wow. And everyone has a different way of eating during those races. Some people can't chew, right? I mean, yeah. you, know, I you, you get to a point where you're so exhausted, you just can't mm-hmm. chew. I couldn't chew. That was a big thing. And then even using a camel pack, because I, I just my coordination was really, it was hard for me to get, get a water bottle. But the sucking out of the camel pack was exhausting. And so I figured <laughs> Too tired it out. to suck. It is. <laughs> so I finally um, sucked it up and started using water bottles, which also helped um, know how much I was drinking. So in a camel pack, you don't really truly know. Okay. But I could keep track of my water bottles a lot easier. And it's just easier. You can squeeze them instead of having to suck. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, little tweaks yeah. make a big difference. Yeah, and I think like for whoever's out there trying to do those kind of races... Just train whatever you're going to do on race day. So if on race day your plan is liquid nutrition like we do, then you all your training rides is liquid nutrition. If you're going to be using gels, then it's gels on your training rides. If you're going to be bars, it's bars on your training rides. You don't just have to train your cardiovascular system. You have to train your gut. Right, mm-hmm. right. So no new food, no new shoes, mm-hmm. no new <laughs> equipment Mm-mm. even. Right? Correct. Before something that major. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tips. Give our listeners some some tips. Um, Lisa, on the bike? Um, seems little, but it's huge for me, is no matter what, smile. Because smiling, just whatever it does to your body, it makes your, it makes your brain happy. So even when I'm feeling my worst, I just smile. Force yourself to smile. Yep, yep. And it's just the self-talk is huge. It's if, if I think I might crash, I will crash. If I think I'm going to feel, you know, tired or my legs are going to be hurting, then they will. So I, a lot of positive self-talk about, I get to be out here. I get to ride my bike. Um, so many other people want to, but I get to do it. And I look around and breathe in the air and look at the views. And so for me, that's what I focus on is just where I am in the moment. Beautiful. Beautiful. Tips? (laughs) Tips? <laughs> I think for like the, the run, and I didn't really think of any, like, I think the thing that comes to my head is what, what do I do when I'm out there? And anytime I come up on a runner, I tell them nice work. And if they're doing a good job, that means I'm doing a good job. So that's kind of the self-talk as well. But when it comes to a distance like that or anything, I think run when you can, hike if you must, but just take every step forward with intention. And I think if you have that mindset, if I'm moving forward with intention always, that line, finish line is going to come at some point. Nice. Mm-hmm. As someone who's only been crew so far on, on these big races, I love it when I see racers come through and I know they're exhausted. And we'll cheer, you know, whatever it is that we're cheering in, They'll smile or they'll wave or sometimes even do a wheelie, which is ridiculous at mm-hmm. a certain point into a race. <laughs> and it just, it amazes me. So, oh, I don't know. Do you ever get tired of the cheering? 
No. <laughs> because they're cheering for me. I know like I'm special and when people are cheering, they're cheering for me and it makes me feel amazing. And it does. Like, it really energizes me and it is absolutely amazing. And I, I always thought that I was kind of annoying when I was cheering, when I was on that side. I'm right, like, am I right. yelling too loud? Yeah. They don't know who I am. But being on the flip side, I personally, it is very energizing and how about, how about those cowbells? How about the cowbells? Uh, the cowbells, in my opinion. <laughs> a little too much yeah, cowbell. It, it is quite a bit. It's nice when you're approaching it because you're like, oh, man, somebody's up there. It's awesome. And then you get there and you're like, oh, man, that's loud. Well, all right. <laughs> but, that's, yeah. that's good to know because I know as a crew person, yeah. I get tired of the cowbells. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like hearing it when you're far away. But when you get close, it is, you're like, well, wow. That's a lot of cowbelling. <laughs> I think what's really neat is, as far as doing these races and being immersed in them for so long, when I'm out there, I hear my name like, go Marvin, a lot. And I that know, is like, I've yelled it before. Yeah, <laughs> that's like way motivating hearing your name mm-hmm. and seeing like other people like truly recognize you. And I don't know, it's just that recognition that is there's something special about it. And whether it's just go or go Marvin, or in some cases, go daddy. Yeah, like, I don't know. I remember, I don't know when it was, but when I heard my daughter say that once, I was like, oh, tears. <laughs> and so it's just motivating. Mm-hmm. Any last minute tips? Anything else you can think of to let our whoever's racing this year know about? Or any, any changes to the course that you know of? I don't think there's any changes to the course that I know of yet. But I think for anybody who's doing it this year, I mean, you could truly do it and... I think the difference is, is whatever your mindset is, will just either increase your time out there or decrease it. You've always put in the training and you signed up for whatever your reasons are. So since you signed up, you might as well give it your all. And don't just be satisfied with finishing the race. Be satisfied with doing your best. Mm-hmm. When in doubt, pedal it out. It's always a good one. <laughs> <laughs> just keep on going. Lisa and Marvin Sandoval, thank you so much for your time and your tips and your advice and your attitudes about this whole thing. I will be out there. This will be Mike's 12th bike. Wow. He's not doing the lead man anymore with with two new hips Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you. He's not going to be running, but Mm -hmm. uh, looking forward to that. It's always really exciting. I, I stay at Twin Lakes, so I can see them outbound and inbound. And I will keep my eyes peeled for you two. What will you be wearing? This year I'm uh, representing Orange Mud. It's uh, They produce a lot of different packs for running and biking. And so I'm going to be in orange. They make running packs. Okay. They stick to you. No bounce. Really? Yes. Okay. We'll have to look into that. Lisa, what will you be wearing? I'm wearing an ap- Absolute Bikes jersey. I don't know the color of it yet. Okay. Mm-hmm. I haven't gotten it, but Absolute Bikes. All right. Well, I will do my best to yell, go Lisa, go Marvin. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, best of luck. No mechanical failures. No physical failures. Great attitude. And, and thanks again. Thank, Thank you. you very much. It was right. fun. You can find today's show notes with links and photos on my website at ledvillelaurel.com. And if I think I failed to mention earlier, I am going to be at Denver Comic Con Father's Day weekend, June 15th through 17th. So I hope if you're in Denver, you will come to the Comic Con and check out my booth and check out all the wonderful fun that we're going to be having that weekend. 
And uh, if you enjoyed this and other episodes, please subscribe to Alligator Preserves wherever you get your podcasts and tell your friends about it. I hope you'll help support Alligator Preserves on Patreon. Check out the rewards you'll receive at patreon.com slash alligatorpreserves. And join me next time when I will talk about something completely different. Now, let's see. Until then, what kind of preserves would an ultra racer spread on their toast? Hmm. Someone needs to make a go-go-go jelly. Bye. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCarg, with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCarg. Follow her on her website at leadvillelaurel.com, where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at amazon.com. <laughs>